Um, well, tonight I'm continuing. Actually, I think this is going to be the last seri- the last message in the kingdom of priests. Um, I might change my mind, but I but I'm going to be talking about the same thing because really, here's the thing. Um, I have become more and more and more convinced as I read scripture, as I study the Bible, that our job is to love. That's it. You know, in the book of Peter, Peter talks about how the world is against us. And, and he says, by doing good, you will silence the foolish talk of ignorant men. And we, how many of you get whipped in a frenzy? You don't have to raise your hands, but you get whipped in a frenzy about the foolish talk of ignorant men. You know, you see things, you hear things, people write stuff on the internet and you're just like, ah! and you want to go like punch them or, you know, let a rattlesnake loose in their house or something. Well, that is, okay, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> Willie. <laughs> Here is the biblical answer. It's to do good. It's to love. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. In this way, you will be like your father in heaven. And I said last week, I think historically, and I'm saying historically because I realize in the last 30, 40 years, the church has just said, oh, there's no such thing as sin. Do whatever you want to do. It's all good. But historically, the church has done a good job about sin. You know, how many of you, as a kid, you learned this? I don't drink and I don't chew. Wait, how does it go? Well, there you go. So we know Brenda doesn't drink or chew. (laughs) I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do her. However it went. But the church, you know, the church has been good at like sin, 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 sin. Sin, sin, sin. What the church has not been good at is loving one another. And I, uh, Friday morning, I was at Bible study in Excelsior. We have, I have, I have Wednesday morning and Lester Prairie, Thursday morning, Winstead, Friday morning, Excelsior. We were in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's the very end where Paul is just given bullet commands. You know, be joyful always in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God. Do not quench the spirit you know, test the prophecies, hold to that which is good. And it's just boom, 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 boom. And I'm sitting there saying, these are, he's commanding us to do this. He's not saying, hey, guys in Thessalonica, here's a shout out from the Apostle Paul. I just want to say, I have a couple ideas. Why don't you try this? No. He's like, he's writing with the authority of an apostle of God. And he's saying, do this. And we, we're so much like the disciples. When Jesus was with the disciples and they would see him perform miracles and then he would say things and they would say, huh? And he would say, are you so dull? Don't you understand? And I think very much so he could say to us, are you so dull? Don't you understand? And we would say no, because we, we want our way. We are selfish. We are fussy. We are complainers. We, I mean, last week, the passage you looked at where he says, nor grumble, nor grumble. And my wife afterwards, like, 
that's pretty serious. I'm like, I know. She goes, we grumble all the time. I know. It's what we do. So I said to you last week that there are over 41,000 Christian denominations in the world. I looked it up since then. Actually, four more have come along. No, not four more. 4,000 more. So in the last five years, we've gained another 4,000 Christian denominations, which means 45,000 times. See, in, in, the, in the city of the beautiful town of Lester Prairie, there are two, two Missouri Synod Lutheran churches. Because in the late 1800s, I don't have the exact dates, but somewhere in that 1800 window, there were two brothers that were going to the one Missouri Synod church in town, and they had a disagreement. And the one brother said, I'm starting my own Missouri Synod Lutheran church. And he did. And so there are two Missouri Synod Lutheran churches in Lester Prairie. That's just somebody starting a new church. 45,000 times the disagreement was so severe, not only am I starting a different church, I'm starting a different denomination. And there are families Families of people that love Jesus that won't talk to each other. Who There was a lady who called me up and, and she said, you know, I was raised in the Reformed Church and everyone in the church, you know, they're all good Jesus-loving people and, you know, my uncle is an elder in his church and my dad was a Sunday school teacher. And he, except at holidays, we don't get together. Why not? Well, they don't talk to each other. It's like, and Jesus... He is love. You know, God is love. John writes, God is love. In fact, John says this, 1 John 4, 20 or 21. I memorized it as a kid, King James. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. For you cannot love God, whom you have not seen, if you don't love your brother, whom you have seen. And we're like, nah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm saved by faith. See, one time I was preaching on passage in Matthew 25, where I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me something to eat. And, and then Jesus said, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me, and I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. And you know the passage. And a lady came up to me afterwards, a good lady, a lady who reads her Bible, loves Jesus. She said, that's not true. I said, what's not true? Your sermon. I said, what do you mean it's not true? We're saved by faith. We're saved through grace by faith. I'm like, well, I have your thoughts or have the words of Jesus I'm going to go with the words of Jesus on this one and we need to and and I and I'm talking to me I'm talking to me cuz it's amazing how much I don't like people nobody in here I love all of you <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing how things irritate me and eh, I mean, when Cosette read the words, love does not demand its own way, 
I'm like, I don't know about that, Cosette. We can take that one right out, you know. But you're all familiar with Thomas Jefferson, how he had the Jefferson version of the Bible. He went through and he cut out all the parts of the Bible that he didn't agree with. Okay, if you want it, if, but we can't do that. I mean, we, we, that's, that's not true Christianity. And I've heard people talk about it as a salad bar. You know, you, you can't say, I don't really like pickled beets and I'm not a fan of, what's that delicious fish that's pickled? I can't, I don't like the pickled herring. I just, it's like, no, it's not that. The Bible isn't a salad bar. It is what it is. It's the, they're good, right? Pickled beets and pickled herring. I think we should have a vote right now. Who says yay to the pickled beets and herring? All right, that's right. That's the good stuff. Sorry, Dana, you're wrong. Okay, I'm leaving. You, I'm starting a new church, Dana. I'm with you. So. <laughs> uh, no, I love Dana. Dana, we will not have pickled herring or beets here any because we... But here's, here's my point, and this is the point, and it's the point of the passage tonight. We can't not take this seriously. And so the Apostle Paul, last week we ta- he talked about being one loaf and the bread and the meat offered to idols and how communion is this way with God, but it's also this way with each other because we're one, we're one bread. On chapter 11, where we have Jesus' version of the Last Supper, starting in verse 17... He says, but in the following instructions, I, knew, I do not commend you. Because there were things that the Corinthian church was doing well. And Paul was like, good job, guys. Good job. I'm proud of you. Not now. In the following things, I do not commend you. And then look at these words. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Other translations say you do more harm than good. I would hope if the Apostle Paul visited this church, he wouldn't say, you guys would be better off not meeting than meeting. Because you do more damage when you meet than if you just stayed home. That's what he's telling the church in Corinth. When you get together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, and I think these words are interesting, come together as a church, you get this, this idea of unity, you know, come together, one. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. This is what I'm hearing. You come together and you're not coming together. You're, you're all together separate. Now, he said, I believe it because, I mean, he's acknowledging, okay, there must be some differences. There must be some divisions. Why? Well, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized because that's how you kind of find out where the spirit is. Some people have different ideas. Some people say, you know, the spirit this, some people the spirit that. And then it turns out you can kind of find out who's in the right. You know, there's, there's the fruit, the, what comes out of the mouth, all those wonderful things. But so he's acknowledging, okay, some divisions are, are necessary, but not what you guys have going on. It's beyond that. And I was thinking, how many times 
could you say, you know, for Thanksgiving, it's better if you guys don't get together because there's more bitterness and hurt after your holidays than there is before. Or fill in the blank. You, you know the things. It's, you know, mom, it's better if I don't talk to you on the phone because I feel better. I mean, I feel worse after we've had a phone call than before. Or w- whatever the, you know, you, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Wife, it's better if I don't talk to you because when I tell you how I feel, whatever, whatever the situation is, he says, I hear that when you get together, there are divisions and it would be better if you didn't meet. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now they thought they were. That's what they're celebrating. He says, no, it's not what you, you, you can call it whatever you will, but that's not what it is. That is not what it is. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Now this seems to be their problem. And in fact, I'm going to read through this chapter and then we'll come back to verse 21 so you have context when I quote things. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what, also, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also... and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, It will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So again, 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. See, the reason this is so important, and I've I've told you this before. I'm not sure who first came up with it. I've heard other preachers say it. I've heard other theologians say it. When you are reading scripture and you think you're following an argument and then the author goes in a direction that you didn't expect him to go, that is because you actually were not following his argument. 
you kind of created your own argument, and then he didn't agree with where you thought he would go. And the fact that Paul ends this chapter with, so when you come together, wait, share. That's, that tells you that's really the, the problem he's dealing with the whole time. And when this passage has been used in churches, it's almost always used about personal sin. I get it, it's all personal sin, but you know, like, the sins. But in this chapter, he's not really talking about sins. In, 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 okay, when I do this, I mean like, you know, the sins that the Baptist taught me not to do. They were bad things, but it wasn't this harmony, peace, loving one another. It was like smoking and drinking and chewing and sex and all, you know, he's, the sins. He dealt with those things earlier in the book. He's dealing with them. When he talks about recognizing the body, he, yes, It's the body, but it's the body. It's the body. And that's why he's saying it would be better off if you didn't get together because you're destroying the body. Recognize the body. And again, he's he's not not talking about Jesus, but he's talking about... So for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, you can you can read about communion in the early church. The problem with what you are going to read is what we really have is what Paul wrote and what we have in the book of Acts. And other people try to put it together and they say, well, you know, this is what the houses looked like in that day and age. And so they kind of extrapolate what they think was happening. We don't actually know exactly what was happening. What seems, based on scripture is that when people came together, they did celebrate the Lord's Supper, but it was also a a meal. Much like when Jesus was was with his disciples, they ate the Passover. It was in the context of a whole meal. Lamb and bitter herbs and four cups of wine and paste that Jesus handed to Judas. In the context of that, he takes the bread. And in the context of that, he takes the cup. Now, we don't have a full meal when we have communion. But they, it seems like they did. And it also seems to be a bring-your-own-meal meal. B-Y-O-M? There we go. I just made that. I'm pretty good with initials. (laughs) And so some guys would get together, and they were doing well. And they're like, oh, man, I brought whatever was fancy back then. You know, well... You know, lobster was the food of peasants. Yeah, I bought some lamb. And other guys are like, I just have some little pigeon. And that's okay. And some guys are like, oh, oh, munch, munch, munch. And Paul's like, what are you doing? This isn't sharing. This isn't loving. This isn't being one body. And he's not against them having feasts. Because look, he says, for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And he's like, oh, they're drinking too much. You know, he doesn't say that. He says, don't you have your own house? If you want to have a feast, eat at home. This isn't the place. And look at the strength of these words. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Is that really what you're doing? You just want to show everyone how much you hate them? You, want to, you despise the church. 
And when the church comes together and despises itself, it says you do more harm than good. You humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord, and I've shared with you before, the reason 1 Corinthians 11 is my favorite communion passage is because Matthew was an eyewitness and he wrote his version. And Mark, he most likely is, is getting Peter's version. And Luke, he did research on it. But in, Corinth, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, we have Jesus' version of the Last Supper. This is, Paul had direct revelation from Jesus. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And last week, I read about the betrayal, uh, and my wife said to me afterwards, there was a little girl in church, she was about six, and she said, you use too many big words. I said, big words? What big word did I use? Betrayed. I'm like, oh, never thought of that. So if any of you six-year-olds are out there, Jesus on this night, Judas, his beloved disciple, Jesus loved him. Judas handed him over to wicked men. And Jesus knew it was going to happen because he'd already told Judas, what you have to do, do. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he's the creator of everything. He still thanks his father. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we talked about it last week. He didn't say this symbolizes my body. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And I was thinking about all the things we do in remembrance. Sometimes you go to a wedding and there will be a moment of silence because they want to remember grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles who aren't there. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this, remember me, remember me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Really, every time you partake of communion, you are preaching a sermon. That's what you're doing. The, the witnesses, Jesus said, you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What were they supposed to tell them? They're supposed to tell them that Jesus saves that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus was raised to life again. They are to proclaim his death. And he said, as often as you do this, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And whoever, therefore, and this is why it's a big deal, because you are proclaiming his death. You are preaching the truth. He says, whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup, which is another way of saying whoever, therefore, proclaims his death in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And again, I was taught this is about sin. This is, a, and it is about sin. 
But you see, even the fact that I have categories of sin in my mind, and you probably do also, shows you how we have diminished the love part of his commandments. His commandment is love one another. And we've turned his commandment into don't do this and don't do that and avoid this. And you should. It says in 1 Thessalonians, avoid all appearance of evil. But we've, we've kind of turned broken relationships into, well, that's okay. That's acceptable. That's, you know, I mean, people are difficult. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine yourself, he says. And what they were doing in the church, he wasn't happy about. How can you do this to one another? You do more harm than good. And then he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. And yes, he's talking about the body the body of Jesus that was crucified on the cross. But he's also, it's clear from the rest of the passage, he's talking about the body. He, he didn't say when you come together, you are partaking of the feast with lots of sins in your life. He said, you're not recognized. One of you eats and drinks and the other go hungry. And do you despise the church? Don't you have homes? Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And you see, we have to discern the body because we are one. We are one. We are one. We have to figure it out. We are one. It's not, I know we should be one. No, you are one. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's one Spirit. Now, I want to tell you something from 1 Thessalonians 5 that I found very encouraging. One of those little short burst phrases, I believe it was verse 19, Paul says, do not put out the fire of the Spirit. Or if you memorized it in the King James, quench not the Spirit. The word that they use, quench, it's extinguish. Here's what that tells us. The spirit of God is burning. He's burning. And he's burning in you and he's burning in me. And we need to let him rage. Throw some wood on the fire. Whatever you need to do to fuel the fire of the spirit in you because he will lead you to transformation. I had a meeting with a man yesterday and he used to go to church all the time and he hadn't been to church for about three years and he came back to church and he wanted to talk to me and he said, you know, I had to leave because I couldn't handle it and he had all these different reasons because people have reasons but he said, but there were verses that kept haunting me. And I'm like, woo, that's right. That's the word of God. It's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So let it, let it haunt you. Let it haunt you. In fact, 
we know, okay, so anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died in the King James. It says some of you have fallen asleep. This is just a side story. When I was a little kid, I thought church was terribly boring. One time I was falling asleep like, and the pastor read at that moment and many of you have fallen asleep. I'm like, I'm good. That's a, whew, it's a good church. But look at what he says next. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. See, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to let the word of God haunt us and not drown it out. Let it haunt us till it provokes us to change. Fuel the fire. Do not quench the spirit. Because if we judge ourselves... When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. See, when, when the word is haunting you and you are being disciplined, the reason you are being disciplined is so that you may not be condemned along with the world. So fuel that fire. Let the word haunt you. Take it seriously. Say, okay, God, you have to do it. Because you, you, I don't know how else is going to happen. That's why I love when we, when we talked about John the Baptist where he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what we need. We need the spirit and power of Elijah. And I get it. it. There wasn't really spirit and power of Elijah. It's the power of God, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And that's what we need. We need the hearts of husbands turned to wives and hearts of wives turned to husbands and hearts of grandfathers turned to to grandchildren. We, we need, we need, we need, this is my commandment, love one another. And if you drink and eat without discerning the body of the Lord, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then my brothers, when you come together, wait for one another. Now we don't have this problem because we don't do, you know, but you can, you can figure out how to apply this to us. In fact, my mom's church, they would have a whole loaf. They really did. They would have a loaf. And the pastor would say, every time they did communion, if there's someone in the church that you need to reconcile with, break off some bread and take it to them. And just, just that's, that's a way of saying, I need to make things right with you. I need to, I need to fix this. And it's, what was that? You would take the whole loaf? We'll get more loaves for you, Colleen. <laughs> so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. That's why when they got together, it was worse than if they, because it wasn't just the hurting each other. It was that they were actually bringing judgment upon themselves. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. It's like, yeah, there were other things, but I had to deal with the main issue. And this is what I had to deal with. That's what the, the apostle's telling us. And so tonight, the servers are, they're going to pass out the bread and the cup. And it is his body broken for you. And it's his blood poured out for you. So I want to give you some time to examine and to think, what changes do I need to make? Where do I need? And we will never be able to live at peace with all men. We will not. 
because it takes two to live at peace, but it only takes one to destroy it. Don't be the one. Don't be the one. Let's pray. Father, I, we're not good at loving one another. So I pray that you help us and that your spirit burns hot and bright and that it transforms and that your word haunts us, that we just hear it over and over and over. This is my commandment. Love one another. Uh, Help us to, by doing good, to silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.